Welcome to Outspoken Voices, a podcast by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer parents, people with LGBTQ parents, future parents, and everyone else who is part of our family journeys. I'm your host, Emily McGranahan, and I am the Director of Family Engagement with Family Equality Council. In 2018, there was a record number of LGBTQ plus parents running for all levels of office across the country. They ran for school board, attorney general, state legislatures, governor, and more. Many won and many didn't. Regardless, their visibility and outspoken political activism made a real impact, no matter what the outcomes of the elections. Our families were out and proud and taking a stand on all kinds of issues federally, at the state level, and in our local communities. That passion and motivation is something to be admired. I know I have a lot of respect for the folks who ran for office, and this includes the two people I have with me today to talk about their experiences as out LGBTQ parents running for office. Danielle Skidmore is president and founder of Danielle Skidmore Consulting. In 2018, she took a pause from her engineering career to run for Austin City Council. As a special needs parent and transgender woman, Danielle has been a strong advocate for disability and LGBTQIA rights in Texas and nationally. Danielle was in Danielle was an inaugural member of the City of Austin LGBTQ Quality of Life Advisory Commission. Martin Rollins Fine is a <clears throat> Martin Rollins Fine is a Jewish bisexual transgender father of two and educator who specializes in building bridges across educational divides and ran a trans and bi-positive campaign for the San Francisco School Board in November 2018. A firm vaccine proponent, he is a childhood stroke survivor and a neurodiversity advocate. Welcome, Danielle and Martin. Great. So, Danielle, who is in your family and how was it formed? So, there are three of us in my family, myself, Melissa, and Peter. And uh, so we have a beautifully complicated family. So it was formed when uh, well, I started dating Melissa 26 years ago. And, uh, and then uh, Peter uh, was born in 2001. So Peter is our, uh, well, is our son, a biologic son in my beautifully complicated queer family. <laughs> The best kind. The only kind. Yeah, I feel like I got one too. <laughs> um, so you were recently a candidate in an election. Can you talk a little bit like what were you doing? What was its particular role? And then had you, was it the first time you were running for an elected position? Yeah, so last year I, uh, so I'm a civil engineer by training, and but last year I quit my job uh, to run for Austin City Council. And uh, I'm pretty certain it was the first election that I run for since middle school. <laughs> but I had spent a lot of time at the Texas Capitol in 2017 fighting our bathroom bill. And that whole experience really, well, it demystified electoral politics for me and uh, really helped me to see that uh, if you feel really strongly about something, uh, you know, it's up to us to sort of step up 
and run. And, and for me as an engineer and somebody that loves Austin, but we have real growing pains, uh, I realize that like, you know, the, the issues that we face that city council faces are the kinds of puzzles that I think I would be well suited to help solve. That's so that's really interesting that you hadn't necessarily thought about doing this in the past. This wasn't like the career trajectory. You wanted to be a politician, you know, or you wanted to be an elective office. This was something that really came organically from like a particular experience. Or do you think you maybe always had like a little, little inkling and this just kind of pushed you that next step? No, I don't think I had seriously considered running for elected office uh, until, until 2017. I mean, honestly, uh, I would not have done it or my gender transition. So I am I am a, a sort of highly visible, out and proud transgender woman, and my uh, my personal uh, I'm very open about like my whole past and history. So uh, my birth name is Joe. Joe would never have had would never have run for office. And uh, I you know there were some gifts that I gave myself in finally allowing myself to come out. So, uh, Martin, who is in your family and how was it formed? <laughs> uh, well, um, I have my wife, Shelly, um, my daughter, Sadie, and my son, Matthew. Um, that's all of us. Uh, we uh, And also uh, grandma's nana, and uh, she lives uh, nearby. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, my wife and I, we got married very quickly. Uh, we, got, we met at our synagogue, very quick courtship. And then uh, we had kids, and we started really uh, started young. I was twenty seven, I think. Or that's a lot, <laughs> a long time ago. I was uh, really uh, trying to build a family. I I never thought I could actually have a family. That was really a, a big part of it. We had our kids through um, many trips to the sperm donation center and uh, carrying canisters around. It took about three tries each for for the kids because. Uh, you know, it's it's an expensive process, and it's also very um, common in queer families. Uh, our family was our family's pretty pretty unique, but it's also pretty common in uh, in the queer community, especially in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I know I'm at the age now where I, I'll say that I have a sperm donor, and it sounds like that I'm using as opposed to like how I was made. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like once I remember like kind of finally getting old enough that people would kind of be like, huh. Uh, you know, because I would be like in college or something and be talking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a grown up now. It's very different. Uh, so, so, Martin, you were recently a candidate in an election. Can oh, yes. you talk about what office you were running for in 2018 mm-hmm. and whether or not was that the first time that you were running for an election? Well, so it wasn't the first time I ran for exactly that election. I, I 2012. I ran um, uh, for a school board, and I actually didn't file paperwork. I, I pulled out, so this is not for me. <laughs> I stepped back um, and let wonderful candidates go forth. And so, in, in 2018, I was like, you know, this is this is really a good time. There's, nobody's running as an incumbent. Uh, I feel like this is a a point where trans people uh, are. Are visible. We are able to do so much. Why not school board? 
And so I, 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 I'm just going to go for it. So I followed through and I went through the entire campaign, my little ragtag crew of people. And we, we went to, we went for school board and there were 20, 19 of us running. Yeah. Two trans people, um, which was awesome. Uh, so I got to run alongside Mia Sacha, who was a youth advocate. Uh, and I was really excited that we were able to run such good campaigns and positive campaigns. And we kept everybody else positive. And so when they went negative, you could tell it was, it was a, it was a, a very interesting campaign. And we also, I also ran against a, somebody who was traditionally a transphobic person. Um, they were growing and changing through meeting Mia and myself, but um, I don't think that people like that should be on school boards uh, when they're evolving in their views, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Well, Danielle, you had mentioned that there had sort of been a big political impetus, almost like it's something that, um, you know, the, the Texas was debating discrimination, just uh, public accommodations, uh, bills. And so that was, that was something that was part of your decision to run. Do you like what about um, being more involved in politics and kind of as you, you kind of mentioned seeing things in action? How did that change your thought about? Oh, I could I could do this, or like I should be doing this. You know, they need someone like me here. So, uh, I I think it. You know, it, I mean, it's like I'd mentioned earlier. It really, when I was at the Capitol, the state Capitol, talking to our senators and representatives, I realized that like. Oh my goodness! There are an awful lot of people who are in elected office who don't really have the skill set or the, the, the you know kind of the emotional aptitude uh, that I think that I expected. I mean, I sold myself short. I was like, "Oh, you're a civil engineer. You don't have like you're not you can't be a, an elected representative. It's always lawyers, right?" And uh, or car dealers if you're a Republican in Texas, it seems like, but or radio personalities, but so it really, I, I realized that uh, it it's not a particular skill set. Obviously, the skills to serve an elected office are different than the skills necessary to run for elected office, but in the end, you know, the best people, the strongest candidates are people who have a really strong desire to serve our community, and that was something that this fight that the, the trans community in particular, but really the whole LGBTQIA community came together in 2017 to really push back what was a full assault by our lieutenant governor. And uh, that bonded our community in a way that, uh, I, in retrospect, I look back, is uh, was a perverse gift from our lieutenant governor. You know, I joke that I sent him a Christmas card at the end of 2017 because he helped me meet like a thousand amazing people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you certainly, you know, it's it was a surreal experience for me as somebody who had come out not long before. I you know, started my transition at the end of 2014 and came out professionally, like name and gender marker change and, you know, kind of let everybody in on my story in 2016. So... I had only been out uh, for about a year, and uh, when I finally did come out in 2016, I was like, okay, I'm emotionally ready for all of this and everything that entails that sort of visibility of transition. But through 2017 and through this fight, through bonding in our community, it really, it actually helped me to sort of galvanize my identity 
in ways that uh, were really powerful and helpful. Mm. So when I think about running for office and I think about uh, the candidate and then also their family being so out and so visible, you know, regardless of where you are, um, and, and Danielle, you, just, you were just mentioning visibility. So when deciding whether or not to run, what kind of conversations did you have with your family about then that visit, that additional visibility? Those conversations were long and difficult. My family is like 100% behind me and my family is also very private. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's like uh, when we decided that, uh, you know, I was, I wasn't going to run last time. A lot of it had to do with, you know, what, what things were on our plate, how many things are we doing right now? How can we pull back? Running this time, it was very difficult conversations to be had around the kitchen table, around how how out I wanted to be. I had been I've been out for twenty plus years. You know, it's 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 not something I can't like go back in the closet. <laughs> I can't shove myself back in there. And how how much um, how much of myself am I willing to put out there? I'm not really uh, one of those out there people. I'm 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 very behind the scenes, getting things done, and so being out there. I, I was kind of myself. I was very trepidatious. I, I thought, oh no, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be talking to people. I'm going to be you know, shaking people's hands. You know, how are these things going to affect our family in that daddy's going to be a bit rushing everywhere and it's not going to be fun for you guys. And I think that uh, in the end, you know, the, the right people won. Um, it wasn't me. It wasn't Mia, but it, they were really good people who, who, who won the race, really. Um, and that made me feel good that I helped to push that forward and help to uh, expand people's minds and help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Danielle, what was some of that decision or conversations like for you? Right. So I, uh, I decided, you know, of course, the election was in November of 2018. And in the summer of 2017 is when I started seriously thinking about running for elected office. And the first person I came out to uh, it was Melissa. And it's probably worth noting for a moment that I, my family is, so Melissa is, uh, we are a family, but Melissa and I are no longer a couple. So uh, we had been married and are actually still married legally. But uh, when I came out and transitioned as a transgender woman, Melissa had to come out herself. Uh, You know, she had to come out as a a straight white girl. (laughs) And uh, we, we realized that like, uh, the biggest gift we could give each other was our honesty and our sincerity. So we redefined our family. So, uh, which I joke, we joke together now. I'm like, you're queer now. And she's like, no, I'm not. I'm queer adjacent. But uh, <laughs> she is because she's, you know, in this, this space where we still have an intimate relationship, like an emotionally intimate relationship. And our son is, so he's, turns 18 in a couple of weeks, but he's a nonverbal quadriplegic. So we have a special needs child, which means that we really have to surrender, you know, our care around him. So with that sort of context, uh, I, when I said to, I think she knew it when she saw me, I was very visible at the Capitol. Like I spoke in front of thousands of people and, you know, was interviewed by the media pretty frequently. And people, you know, when I finally came out, it was out it was just sort of how it played out because I was comfortable with doing it. You know, I, I would joke that if my voice as deep as it still is can help this conversation in Texas, that I'm happy to do it. 
so she saw me really come out of my shell and, and, and sort of embrace that. And when I sat down with her and I said, oh, I, I think I'm thinking about running for city council. And she said, you would be really good at it. And really the questions for us had more to do with the economic reality. I quit my job to run for council. And how could we, would that work for our family? And it had, there was very little angst about what it might look like in terms of visibility, uh, you know, for her and for our son uh, and, you know, full support, full support and excitement. Uh, it really, as the campaign evolved, it proved uh, really uh, interesting for me and sometimes hilarious because in Austin, you know, we got read as a family and we still are a family, you know, but it all, it meant that basically now Melissa was read as my lesbian wife. And, uh, so she was forever coming out as, uh, you know, yes, we're a family, but I'm not a lesbian <laughs> and not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but, uh, the other thing she was, people would see her same last name and just assume that she was my sister and then ask, well, who's, Whose, whose son is that? And it's like, oh, he's ours. You know, and then you have that wonderful trans experience of like, what do you mean is ours? Oh, yeah, we've been married 25 years and people are doing the math with the Obergefell decision and, you know, just poop steam comes out of their ears. I love it. Yes. Uh, so when campaigning, did you find that having your family be visibly, you know, with you at events or meeting people, like, but you have this, there's this perception of, you know, the smiling family sort of, you know, with the candidate? Or did you find it to be important for your family to be, you know, physically present, not only like morally, you know, really supporting you, but physically present with you at different events throughout a campaign? For is it important for you? And then also, was that important for the people you were interacting with? So, uh, you know, ready for school board, it's kind of like, look at us, we're perfect family. <laughs> but being a queer family means that in, in San Francisco, especially, it means you have to be a two-income family. So we couldn't afford childcare. Uh, we couldn't. So I would I would take Matthew with me uh, whenever I went uh, to anything, um, or I would. Uh, my daughter um, was you know playing softball, <laughs> so like you know she was always doing something else, uh, and my wife uh, I was always working. So uh, you know I'm the she takes him to school. I, I pick him up. So I. Uh, I'm always the one who picks him up and takes him off to these meetings and these things, usually bringing some toys with me so he can play. And all the people are like, wow, you're like, you're like a child whisperer. Like you, you, I, your, your son is so good at these things. Well, he's been coming to them forever. Um, <laughs> he's, he's one of these kids who knows exactly, you know, okay, I'm going to go over here and play Legos for like, you know, 20 minutes or, or, you know, come over and quietly ask you, you know, I need another book. You know, so when I went to uh, several panels, you know, there was, you know, little Matthew walking up behind the podium to, to chat with me for a moment and going back down. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, family matters, but it also matters that, you know, being realistic about your family being with you all the time. You know, it's a, it's a social lubricant, yes, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I can't expect my, uh, my partner to always be with me uh, because she has uh, things of her own. And so uh, we always look like a straight couple um, wherever we go, even though we're both bi um, and I'm trans. Uh, so it, it also sort of, it's interesting when you're, when she wasn't with me, uh, people would, when I would say I was bisexual, they would assume my partner was a man. So 
I would have to correct them. And then they would scratch their heads a bit and try to figure out why I wasn't just saying I was straight or why I wasn't in a closet. Yeah. I mean, that there's so much there that, that just makes me think of like having to do education that you probably didn't anticipate talking about you. You want to talk about schools. You want to talk about, you know, what recently was happening in the Austin city council. And then, mm-hmm. and then, so I, I do want to ask about that, but I do also want to comment, you know, both of you brought up the, the financial implications of running for office and how I think that's something that's not as often talked about, especially when like on a local level and what that means for families. Um, and it's just so interesting to think about families not being, you know, the little kiddos in suits and just, you know, smiling, you know, ready for a photo op and instead being like, this is, this is chi- like, we don't have childcare. This is what we got to do. So like our families being present out of like a practical necessity um, and just families being families as opposed to like for that photo op. Um, and I think that's, that's, that is so interesting. So I do want to ask then, you know, that, that, that feeling to be uh, putting on the like perception of being a perfectly happy contented, you know, settled family, like that we're being a poster family. Um, Danielle, I think I had seen you kind of nodding there too. What was your experience with that? Well, it was, uh, you know, I guess uh, we, Melissa and I are like partners for Peter's Care. So Melissa wasn't, there were very few times in the campaign when there was like the, the family shot of the three of us. And some of that's out of respect for my relationship with Melissa now and that it's, uh, we're not, you know, not a couple in that sense and that is very important I think for both of our identities right now it's so that me being true to me and her being true to herself and uh, so for us it was like we you know when I quit my job to run uh, Melissa was I joked I was like you're my sugar mama now so she was still working full-time she teaches at the University of Texas and it meant that for the first time in my life I was somewhat of a stay-at-home mom and uh, who was campaigning, right? But it meant that I had the flexibility to take my son to therapy or his doctor's visits. And, and we very much 50-50 split his care. So Peter, just like so many, and, and you described it, Martin, Peter came with me to, you know, half of my events, essentially, because, you know, finding child care is hard. Finding special needs care, you know, attendant care for somebody like Peter uh, is almost impossible. So... Uh, people got very used to seeing him everywhere. And uh, most people found it really sort of engaging and welcoming. There was a small section of folks. We actually took some real heat for it. Uh, People accused me of using my son as a prop, and uh, which frustrated me. I tend to sort of have a very positive, like I get along pretty well with everybody, uh, whereas Melissa's a bit of a, much more of a fighter. She was enraged about it uh, she's very protective of me and our son and uh, so we ended up writing about it and you know it ultimately got picked up by Pantsuit Nation right because uh, it was just this idea that no my son is not a prop you know the dynamic in our race that was a little bit different is you know yeah I'm trans and I'm out but in many ways what informs my identity is being a parent first <laughs> and being a special needs parent so there was whole this question of disability visibility in our race. I had somebody, my son is tube fed. And I remember I was doing like a meet and greet, like a kind of at an apartment, you know, for voters. And so I did my thing, but I had my son with him and he needed to eat. So I started feeding him in his, his feeding tube. And I had somebody afterwards say, you know, that's like, 
that made us very uncomfortable. It was a very intimate thing to do. And it was, you know, this whole question of, you know, people being exposed to somebody who's not like them uh, was really eye-opening. Yeah, Martin, you want to you know, add anything there? Yeah, the, the idea that your child is a prop and, and that you're, and that you, when you're feeding your child, uh, that it would somehow make people uncomfortable. There's nothing like going to a candidate forum, right, that you have to attend and showing up at the building at the neighborhood association meeting in an inaccessible building yes. with a wheelchair. Exactly. And everybody going, well, I don't know what you're going to do. And, you know, uh, I uh, I just pick him up and he's 75 pounds. But, you know, it's a little impressive walking into a forum carrying your 75 pounds. <laughs> I scare boys now. <laughs> and there seems to have been many moments of, you know, I'm here to talk about the, you know, variety of issues, but what we end up talking about or what, what people are asking about is maybe not what you had, but what was the most important thing for you that day? Like that was not going to be the talking points today. How did you try to balance then being yourself, being out about who you are and what your family was looks like and, you know, not, not wanting to have to educate people about something that is not what you had, what, what you were there for. Yeah. Um, you know, I, on the campaign trail, um, uh, we were asked about, uh, uh, about uh, special classes and things like that. And I, I had to come out as being, uh, I was in a, a special ed class in high school, partially uh, neurotypical, but partially uh, because I was trans. And so all of these little things, all became part of a bigger uh, stew of things. Uh, so I came out in the forum and it became more about less about being trans. It was kind of interesting. It was, it became less about being trans and more about, Oh, this, this person is neurodivergent. This person is not, doesn't think like everybody else. Oh, wow. So now we know something new about this person. And I came out a lot <laughs> on the trail I came out a lot about a lot of different things throughout. I found that my story resonated with people, which is lovely. But that coming out is always like you keep you keep giving and giving and giving, and uh, that just kind of resonated with me. That uh, the idea of you know your story really isn't your own at some point when you when you come out so much it becomes everybody else's. They they hold on to it, so. I think that's it's an important part of, of, of running is you have to represent. You have to say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of putting aside my own thing right now. And I'll represent and I'll talk about things. And they may not be what everybody else is talking about, but I'm going to keep bringing these things up. And they may be uncomfortable for people, like carrying your son into a, a forum. I think for every person who misgendered me on a forum board, Every person who who called me uh, names on the uh, on on the comments of articles, if I educate just one of those people, uh, it'll be worth it. I mean, I think what what I saw was that you know in our local election in Austin, that people really were focused on the 
the campaign themes, right? And in Austin, we know traffic is awful. So as an engineer, I felt really strongly about approaching those things differently. So they were kind of pretty mundane sort of parks and rec local issues, right? About traffic and taxes and sustainability and how do we build more housing for more people close to where they live and work. And, you know, that I was sort of running to be, you know, at the time, sort of the first openly transgender person elected in Texas history was necessarily part of the conversation because people knew that, but it was always sort of a little bit in the background. So I don't think I ever had a question in a forum about, you know, about my trans identity, but it is part of my lived experience. And as a candidate, the best candidates, uh, you know, people resonate with them. They see something of themselves in there. So it was always like somewhat unspoken, at least in a larger conversation. The key to winning an election or being competitive is knocking a lot of doors. And, you know, I knocked 4,000 doors. Our team knocked somewhere around 25,000 doors in our election race. And, uh, you know, there were, so I had thousands of conversations with individual people. And uh, those conversations sometimes really went in directions that were, uh, I didn't expect, uh, but were amazing and gratifying. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many people whose doors I knocked, uh, you know, once they kind of put two and two together and realized I was trans, just you know, I could see the smile in their face, you know, I knew their name and their age and their demographic. And I was like, oh, okay, 53 year old lesbian. And, uh, you know, and I would just see them smile. And she's like, you know, I would always wear my trans pride sort of pin. She's like, you're trans too. And uh, those were the moments that really hit me. She's like, wow, that's really cool. And uh, the first time that happened, I just started crying, you know, and I got a little better. But uh, that the visibility and that representation was amazingly gratifying. You know, it really is of uh, even in defeat, realizing how, what an impact within our community that we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, then that comes to my, one of my final questions then is, so after that, that experience, will you be running again? Do you think someday? Uh, uh- I tell you, I've had extensive conversations with my children about this, with my my wife, with my family. You know, I don't know. That's the big thing. Um, twenty twenty is uh, next year. Ah, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, depending on what the field looks like, maybe. Mm-hmm. And Danielle, do you think maybe someday running again for? You know, I realized that as a. Candidate or former candidate like pauses more than two seconds to answer that question. The answer is, yeah, they'll probably run again. Uh, it, it pretty much like everybody that I've heard is like, if you don't come back saying like a hard no, no, I am done. It means that like it's still in your blood. And uh, I mean, it's true. I don't know that like I'm changed from the experience of that sort of that second coming out for me. Quite honestly, as a as a politician, uh, is. Uh, was an amazing growth experience. I mean, I have all these opportunities that I didn't have before, uh, even as I go back to my engineering career. So uh, I will run uh, in the future. Of, Melissa's going to kill me when she hears that too on the podcast. Um, if it's the right thing to do at the right time, you know? So, uh, but I know I'm not running in 2019. For any 
youth, adults, anybody in an LGBTQ family listening, you know, what, if they're ever going to think about running for any kind of election, what would you say to them? Well, I would say do it just flat out. Um, the more people we get involved in these things, the more people we get involved in the process, the better it is for everybody. I think I would agree with that answer. I think that for me, like just the opportunity to run, you know, this sort of eight month long process, this eight month job interview that didn't pay me anything and didn't turn out quite the way I had hoped. It was still an amazing experience. So I think that if your heart's telling you to do it, then, uh, you know, listen to your heart. But I'm going to be a little bit more uh, cautious and, and be real, quite honestly. It was a level of vulnerability for me and for my family that was greater than me coming out as a transgender woman. I mean, if I look at it and I'm honest about it, I had moments last summer as I was learning how to be a candidate that were emotionally more challenging and more different from like what I was used to doing. You know, it was easy when I finally came out trans because I was just finally being me and I sort of knew how to do that. I just had to free myself to actually take that space and be me. But the, the task of being a political candidate is, uh, is learned behavior. So you know, follow your heart to do it, but basically go into it realistic and in that it is intensely vulnerable. Just thank you both for sharing your experiences. Happy to talk with you. Thank you very much for having me. Again, thank you for joining us today. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Outspoken Voices. You can find Outspoken Voices on our website, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Family Equality Council at familyequality.org and on Facebook and Instagram at Family Equality and on Twitter at Family underscore Equality. Until next time, remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together.